have in your hymn books 355. Oh, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. Amen. 355 as we get started this evening. Oh, happy day, fix my choice on thee, my Savior and my God. Well, may this glowing heart rejoice and tell its raptures all abroad. Happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. He taught me how to watch and pray and live rejoicing every day. Happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. Oh, happy bond that sings my vows to him who merits all my love. Let cheerful anthems fill his house while to that sacred shrine I move. Happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. He taught me how to watch and pray and live rejoicing every day. Happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. Tis done the great transactions done. I am my Lord's and he is mine. He drew me and I followed on, turned to confess the voice divine. Happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. He taught me how to watch and pray and live rejoicing every day. Happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. Now rest my Lord's divided heart fixed on this blissful center rest. Forever from my Lord depart with him of every good possess. Happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. He taught me how to watch and pray and live rejoicing every day. Happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. Amen. Now let's turn to page 414. 414. Trust and obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey not a shadow can rise not a cloud in the skies but a smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt nor a fear, not a sigh nor a tear, can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey trust and obey for there's no sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the 
song 317 317 what a friend we have in Jesus amen 317 what a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer We often forfeit all one needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. so faithful who will all our sorrows share Jesus knows our every weakness take it to the Lord in prayer are we weak and heavy laden comfort with a load of care precious Savior still our rest to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee, take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee, thou wilt find a solace there. Amen, and you may be seated. the prayer list get passed out if you need one uh, raise your hand I think they did okay looks good I don't see any hands waving there brother George okay there we got a couple uh, we had 72 this morning praise the Lord three visitors um, the partitions in the basement are all up finally a uh, little bit of adjustments and still a few kinks need to uh, be worked out, but if you'd like to see those after the service, you could uh, go downstairs and and uh, take a look. And if you're not interested, don't go. Amen. And um, let's see. Uh, the Bolas are missionaries in Fiji. How long ago was it? it? Was a couple weeks? Oh, June something. June seventh. Uh, they had uh, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Bola gave birth to their first baby, a little girl, 10 pounds, I believe she was, 19 inches long, I remember. Did they give you the name? I don't think it was on there, but okay, it probably was. There was a picture of that, so praise the Lord for that. Um, let's see, today is my wife and I's 18th anniversary, praise the Lord for that, and so we are enjoying somebody said how many happy years 18 amen <laughs> all right any other praises peter okay still has a job when he got back i think i saw pam's hand oh amen Okay, little Samuel Leshen, he's under health, uh, and uh, praise the Lord, he does not have a disease they thought he had. Amen. Anyone else? Any other praises? Uh, Rita. Oh, amen. Okay, Mariana.
Sounds good. Amen. We're glad Mariana's back with us. All right, behind me, Bronx. Praise the Lord. Brother Ted. Amen. Amen. Hey, it's never too late to get that one in. Amen. All right. Any others? Brother Dean? Amen. Praise the Lord for the new job. Yes. Yes. Um, Brother Jason told us he's visited here a couple of times. He's a youth director at Brother Palman's church in uh, Shirley or uh, Mastic Beach. He was ordained uh, yesterday afternoon. Got to take part of that service. And uh, some of you remember Charlie Horton. He's been actually out in uh, Brentwood starting a new church. And uh, next Sunday, Brother Jason will be candidating for that church and hopefully taking that church as its uh, first real pastor. So we praise the Lord for that. Amen. Any others? A lot of things to praise the Lord about. Amen. All right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time where we can share testimonies, share things that you are doing. Lord, we thank you for the anniversary of Ted's salvation. Lord, thank you for the anniversary of our marriage. Thank you for the ones that were here today. And Lord, the visitors and uh, Lord, just the different testimonies of work in lives. We thank you for healthy birth of the Bola's first child there in the island of Fiji. And Lord, we thank you that um, this a little baby named Samuel that's uh, not even able to feed himself at this point, has to have a tube in just so he can eat. We praise you that, uh, Lord, uh, the outlook is not as bleak as the doctors would have us believe. Lord, we thank you for your work. And, Lord, we're not going to attribute that to anything but your work in this little boy's life. Lord, we just thank you that we know that you're there that you are stronger than any difficulty we face, that you will bring us through uh, any situation we find ourselves in. Lord, we're thankful for the fellowship we have together here as members of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church. We're thankful for the fact that you want to use us in your ministry. In your name we pray. Amen. Brother Franz? All right, let's stand. Turn to page 216. Song 216, when we see Christ, it will be worth it all. Amen. When we see Christ 216. Oft times the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur. Jesus, solve your problem. 
so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Take your Bibles, if you would, Hebrews chapter 11. And just before we get into the message, I um, don't really know how to do this um, except just ask. Uh, I've had several people say, I want to see your pictures. And uh, so I've actually been working on that a little bit. We only have about 1,100 of them. And... Uh, we would not bore you with all of that, maybe about 60 or 70, but uh, what I was thinking about was uh, Sunday, next Sunday night, a week from tonight, just uh, having a little fellowship after the evening service, and if anybody wants to stay and see them, and if nobody stays, I'll watch them, but uh, we'll, uh, would anybody be interested in doing that next Sunday night? Okay, and so what you do is just... Uh, We'll put the coffee pot on and uh, get some soda and stuff. So just bring a uh, plate of dessert of some kind. And uh, if you can't do that, stop by uh, the grocery market, pick up a box of Enemans, and uh, we'll just have uh, a fun time, impromptu, relax, and we'll announce it in the bulletin. Anybody wants to come, and uh, we'll just have some fun after the evening service next Sunday night. Does that sound okay? That would be September 10th. And um, I, I was trying to take some of the pictures and weave them into a sermon somehow, but I, I don't think I'm going to do that. But uh, I want you to just look at verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 11. This is going to be our jumping off spot tonight. And, and uh, just to give you an idea where uh, my thought processes are ha going here is one of the things that we were able to see as we drove out west and, and came back was uh, we were able to follow a lot, not identically, of course, but a lot of the trail uh, of Lewis and Clark. We actually started in Sioux City, Iowa. That's where Sergeant Floyd, the only casualty of the trip, was buried. They have an interpretive center there, and Philip got a coonskin cap and all of that fun stuff. No, it's fake. And... Uh, uh, but I began to think as we drove all those uh, literally thousands of miles, it took them nearly three years, or was it closer to four, to go out there and to come back. And you look at the territory and you look at the mountains, and I mean, I was glad they had roads. But uh, they were steep enough, but I, I, just, I just stopped and, and contemplated actually walking through that area. Uh, you wouldn't get me to ride a horse through that area, uh, though I actually, for the third time in my right life, got on a horse for a few minutes in, in, at Brother Brown's in Yakima, Washington. And uh, 
that was an interesting experience. Uh, and uh, might repeat it sometime, but uh, that's the only method of transportation. I like horsepower. Horses are nice in pictures, and every once in a while I pet them and feed them and all that kind of stuff. But unless you are incredibly in shape, most of us would not make a five-mile horse ride. And if you did, you'd spend the rest of the week trying to get over a five-mile horse ride. Uh, you say, not me. Well, uh, unless you're on a horse all the time, I promise you, you'll have one word. It's called pain. Uh, but, uh, and, and, I, and I began to think about all of those men and women that actually made life so easy for us. Amen? Uh, the pioneers. The, the sod house I got a picture of was actually built in 1909. That's modern history. That is not that far removed. A hundred years after Lewis and Clark, they were still settling South Dakota for the very first time. That's amazing to me. I don't know about to you. And I began to think about the voices of the past and the encouragement that we ought to get from those. And, and we're not going to get an American history lesson tonight, but I want us to get a Bible history lesson. Look at verse 4. It says, By faith, Abel... You can't go back much farther than Abel, amen? By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it... He being dead, yet speaketh. It says that Abel pictures this thing called righteousness. That God was testifying his gifts. And we all know that Abel did not live a full and normal lifespan. Cain had something to do with that, did he not? Cain murdered Abel. Why did Cain murder Abel? Because Abel was righteous, Cain was not. God went to Cain and told him, if you want to get things straightened out, you can. And Cain said, I'll straighten things out. I'll just get rid of Abel. Did that straighten anything out? Absolutely not. Now, what you have right there in verse 4 is all of the history of mankind in a nutshell, do you not? You have those who are righteous trying to serve God, doing what is right, and those who are evil trying to stop them. You say, did he stop Cain? Absolutely. I mean, did Cain stop Abel is the question I wanted to ask. Did Cain stop Abel from being righteous? Not according to this verse. In fact, 6,000 years, I believe the Bible history is a literal one. I don't believe we have to add in indeterminate periods of time in order to try to make the Bible match up with uh, what man thinks. You say, well, what about the archaeologists? And they say 80,000 years and 100,000 years. Well, I, I think the archaeologists and many of them do have rocks in their head, not only in their soil. And uh, the, the whole thing is you study those dating methods. It's absolutely amazing how they do. They'll take a rock and they'll crunch it up into powder and they'll have it analyzed. And in one sample of one rock, they will get a variance uh, of uh, dates. They'll take like 10 different pieces of this rock and they will get one piece testing at 500,000 years and one piece testing at 4 billion years old and one piece testing at 2.5 billion and, and it'll be all over the scope, all in one rock. And then they'll look at the type of rock it is and where they found it and decide what layer it's in and then they'll date it and they'll pick the piece of rock that most agrees with their conjecture and they'll say this is how old the rock is. Now if you don't believe me, read, read the books. That's how they do it. They have found, now 
the evolutionists will not print this material, by the way. It's, it's rather devastating to their taste. Uh, you have to read somebody who's going to be honest about it and, and what they get. They have found brand new rock, according to their dating method, encapsulated in ancient rock. Now, how do you do that? Well, it would just seem to tell you that there might just be a problem with the dating method. Amen. Could we not just be simple enough to say maybe they uh, don't know how to tell the things? Does anybody remember the story of them dating the ice cap? Um, they went through and they would drill the ice cores from Greenland and the North Pole and the South Pole and they count the lines and say how many years old. And uh, unbeknownst to them, one of these ice cores that one of these guys was looking at and claimed to be millions and millions of years old was dug and drilled out so that uh, uh, a group of uh, men who wanted to reclaim a squadron of P-38 airplanes left in Greenland from World War II uh, would be able to go down through, they actually went down through the 130-some feet of ice on top of those planes, melted the planes out of the blocks of ice, took them apart, and shipped them up the hole and brought them back to the United States and put them together. And yet, if we followed conventional reasoning, the core of ice that they took off top of World War II aircraft was 100 million years old. Now, you tell me who's full of rocks. Amen? I mean, the whole idea here is Abel lived approximately 6,000 years ago as a human being. He did not live a very long life for those days. His father lived 930 years. We don't know how long Abel lived. Maybe 100 years. Maybe 200 years. We don't know. But that was very short in those days. His life was cut short by the wickedness of his brother. And Abel's voice comes to us saying, Man can be righteous in the sight of a holy God. The only thing that we know that Abel did was Abel kept sheep. And Abel brought the sacrifice that God wanted to God. As far as we can tell, he only did that once. He didn't do it a hundred times and the animosity build up. As far as we know, he did it once. The testimony that God gives, it says, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. God is not looking for some great, huge accomplishment in the eyes of mankind. Abel did not think he was doing that great of a thing. In his mind, he was just being obedient to God, and he brought that one sacrifice, and he paid for that sacrifice with his own blood. God said, Abel's righteous. Abel was righteous in the sight of God. And that's the voice that Abel cries out 6,000 years later to us today. All you have to do is obey what God said. And God will consider you righteous. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it is to me. It's not by the things that I have done. It's not by what you have done that you will obtain righteousness. It's just simple obedience to the Word of God. It's not a complicated thing. Aren't you glad? Just obedience. The next voice, verse 5, is that of Enoch. It says, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, Enoch, as far as we know, we read Genesis chapter 5 and, and the different uh, stories of the 
book of Genesis, Enoch was around for 300 years. And all of a sudden, he disappeared. One preacher said that Enoch is a picture or type of the raptured church. One day, we're going to be here. One day, we're not going to be here. That's what the Bible says. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take his church out of this world before the rapture, I mean, before the tribulation begins. It'll be a time of great joy for us. We'll be with the Savior. But boy, is it going to be a horrible time here upon this earth. It is going to be the beginning of the pouring out of the judgment of God. Now, here's Enoch's testimony. He pleased God. Just faithfulness, amen. Every day, just simply living a life. And Enoch, is, it was the book of Jude tells us, he was a preacher of righteousness. The Bible tells us that he was a voice that cried out for what was true and what was right. It is interesting, it was not long after the time of Enoch that God called the next man, whose voice we'll hear in a moment, that was Noah. Enoch did not live in a pleasant, wonderful world, even as nice as the one we live in today, and uh, I'll tell you, you can find an awful lot to complain about if you just look around and pick up a newspaper, amen? Uh, I mean, our age, our time is not characterized by righteousness and goodness. Uh, I mean, there was a time that we can go back in American history when the good, righteous people of this country closed down every bar in the United States. Could you imagine what a time that must have been? I mean, there were towns where the preacher would go in and, and preach and so many people would get saved that there was no one, there was not enough patronage to keep the bars open. Could you imagine? And you know what history likes to call that time? The Roaring Twenties. You see, history loves to accentuate the evil. But it was the 19-teens. It was the 1910s and the, and the 1900s, those years that led up to, to uh, that, uh, what we call prohibition today, the Volstead Acts, which prohibited the sale of alcohol in the United States of America. I'll, I'll, I will tell you that that did not make America heaven on earth. But stop and think of all the pain and suffering in our country because of alcohol. And just think, if you stopped alcohol abuse, how many other types of abuse would you stop with it? Amen? How many other evils would you cut off just simply? I, I've had people give the testimony... To, to me privately, and I'm not going to tell you who they were or anything uh, to, to give their actual identity, but one person told me one time, said, I did a lot of rotten things before I got saved, and every rotten thing I did was somehow attached to alcohol. I'll tell you, we look here and we look at Enoch. Enoch lived in an evil day. He lived as the entire world was getting to the point where God gives a testimony in Genesis chapter 6 that the thoughts of the intents of their hearts was only evil continually. You and I cannot imagine a society that is that depraved. And yet what was Enoch's testimony? That he pleased God. Abel... He just did right. Amen? He was just righteous. Enoch pleased God in a wicked day. Do we, not hear to, do we not need to hear that clarion call today? We are so afraid of offending hu other human beings 
that we end up offending Almighty God. I tell you, we need to get our priorities straightened out just a little bit and worry a whole lot more about offending God than offending people around us. Now, we do not need to be blockheads for Christ. Amen. Do you know what I mean by that? I, I think we got that one pretty clear. Uh, we've all met them, I'm sure, from time to time. You'll meet someone that is just so absolutely obnoxious, and they want to blame that on the Lord Jesus Christ. That was not Enoch. Enoch pleased God. And God just took Enoch out. Enoch was walking in fellowship with God, and God said, Enoch, why don't you just come on up here to heaven and be with me? That's what he's going to do with the church one of these days. We need to hear the call of Enoch and please God in an evil day. We get to verse 6, a verse that I love to refer to often, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You've got to have two things if you're going to please God. Number one, you've got to believe that God is. And you've got to believe that God will reward those that seek him. That's the testimony of Abel. You say, but Abel was murdered when he was a young man. He, he lost the entire potential of his life. And, and what kind of, uh, of things? Wait a minute. We cannot put our interpretations and our understandings on top of the Bible. Let's just take God's. God said, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. You know, there are some things more important to God than there are to us. Abel chose the part that was important to God. And even though he lived a very short life, comparatively speaking, he did what God wanted him to do. Enoch, same thing, lived righteously in a wicked world. Then we get to Noah. In verse 7, but Noah, by, I'm sorry, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Noah gives us the voice, he is being dead, of obedience. I'm trying to remember, yes, it's Highway 68 going through Maryland. There's someone, oh, I guess about 15 years ago before Highway 68 was even there, uh, right there where the highway was going to go through, there's a sign that says, we are rebuilding Noah's Ark. Come and see it. Now, the only thing I've seen for the last 15 years is an iron framework out there. I don't think anybody's been doing anything. Uh, it looks ridiculous. I think it's a little closer to Luke chapter 14. He didn't count the cost before he began, and it's beginning to mock him. Um, but there's some interesting things about Noah's ark. According to the Bible, God told Noah it was going to rain. It had never rained in the history of mankind. The best we can understand the pre-Diluvian world, if you like a big term, there's one for you. You can sound like you're edumacated. The pre-Diluvian world there before the flood, the best we can understand what the earth was like a giant terrarium. How many people know what a terrarium is? You have the sealed thing and you put the moss in the bottom and you plant, and then you don't have to water it because it takes care of itself. The, the earth was enclosed. It had a vapor canopy around it, we read in the book of Genesis chapter 1. That's why they find fossils of tropical growth. Where? Antarctica. The world's largest and coldest desert today. There is almost no rainfall, no precipitation in Antarctica. What is there has been there for an awful long time. It's a desert. Didn't used to be that way. Could you imagine every day, 75 degrees, the palm trees growing right down 
Broadway and New York City and the coconuts and, and everything. And if you went to the west coast of the United States, guess what? Be exactly the same way. The whole world was just like it's everything was the same. I mean, one of the most amazing things about our drive out to the west coast and back was how much the terrain and the hills and the uh, scenery changed. But in Noah's day, nothing changed because it didn't rain. It was just like a huge planter. And God had planted the best and the greatest of everything you could only imagine what it must have been like. And God told Noah, it's going to rain. We don't find anywhere in the Bible God saying, Noah saying to God, now God, you're going to have to explain this thing called rain to me. I've never heard of it. I've never seen it. I don't understand what it is. You're going to have to tell me about it. It says that he was moved by fear, but he hadn't seen anything that moved him by fear. God said, I'm going to destroy this earth with a flood. Noah had never seen a flood. In fact, as far as we know where Noah... Uh, probably lived, there was the closest thing Noah would have seen was a river that never overflowed its banks. Noah just believed God and built the ark. It was not until the 1880s that man built a ship as big as Noah's ark. And yet every barge you see going down the East River and up the Hudson River to Albany carrying gravel and, and uh, oil and all of those things are built after the dimensions and exactly to scale of Noah's Ark. Because our scientists and engineers have made an amazing discovery. The dimensions of the Ark are the most stable sailing vessel known to mankind. Coincidence, right? No, God knows what he's doing, amen? Noah's ark was almost unsinkable. Now, where did Noah learn all of that about uh, uh, engineering of ships and all of these things? Where did he learn it all? O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E, -E -E, and I'm singing it in four keys, but anyway, little children's song. If you want to the very best way to show that you believe, is obedience. Amen? That's Noah's voice. You know, there's, it's not complicated here. It's just taking God's word and living it. Abraham. He's the next story. And we're not going to go the whole way through. Don't get worried. Abraham's our last stop tonight. Abraham. Does Abraham not exhibit the word trust in God? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. What did Abraham believe? Abraham believed that God was going to give him as a, a progeny, a family that was as the stars of the heaven. Abraham was 75 years old when God gave him that promise. Abraham had no children. At 75 years old. Stop and think about that. That was quite a belief. It says that Abraham followed God not knowing whither he went. He had no idea where he was going. God said, just get thee out from thy family and thy kindred and go to a... I'm going to take you to a place that I'm going to show you. I wonder how many times Sarah said, let's stop and get directions. Abraham said, got him. Where are we going? Don't know. But how are you going to know when you get there? It says here in the book of Hebrews, he looked for a city whose builder and maker was what? God. You know, Abraham never found that city while he walked this earth. But I believe one day he'll walk on the streets that are made of gold and through the gates of pearl of the new Jerusalem, the city whose founder and maker is God. Amen. Abraham 
when God came and told him to take Isaac, who had been born to him at 100 years old, only through the miracle working of God, he said, I want you to sacrifice him. What did Abraham do? He got up early the next morning. He packed everything he needed. He traveled three days to the place that God told him of. He bound his son. He got ready to uh, kill his son as part of the sacrificial process, and God called him out of heaven and stopped him. The Bible tells us here in the book of Hebrews, it says in verse 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence he also received him in a figure. I mean, Isaac was as good as dead. He was bound. He was laid upon the altar. Abraham had the knife in his hand. Every intent of Abraham's heart was to be obedient to God. How many of us would be willing to trust God that much? That's a scary thought now, isn't it? You see, we often trivialize this thing of our salvation to the point to where it is almost meaningless. Oh, I trust God with my eternal soul. And then some unexpected thing happens, a check bounces, or, oh God, why did you do this to me? Now, wait a minute. If we're trusting God with our eternal soul, could we not trust him with the difficulties of life? Amen? That's the voice of Abraham. That's what we need to be doing. All of these things are wrapped up in this little word called faith. Abraham, I mean, Abel, let's start out with Abel, is righteousness. Enoch is just pleasing God. You just, I, I think of that, and, and then I think of my life, and I wonder how much effort really goes into just pleasing God. That's what Enoch did. He lived righteously in a wicked time. Noah, he obeyed. God gave him specific instruction. He gave him the dimensions. He gave him the type of wood and... Uh, many people have tried to figure out what gopher wood is. I'll tell you what it is. It's gopher wood. Amen. Uh, you say, but don't we? I have no idea. Maybe there are no gopher trees left. Uh, maybe it's the name of some other tree that we would know today. The Bible doesn't tell us, and I'm not going to get worried about it. Noah did what God told him to do. He just obeyed. And Abraham, he just trusted God. He went where he didn't know where he was going. He believed that God would give him a child. When God finally gave him that child, after Abraham messed up a little bit and tried on his own, God told him to sacrifice that child, and Abraham did it. I'll tell you, we need to hear the voices of these who've gone on before us in faith. And if, if I wanted to, we could come up a couple hundred years and we could find, well, a couple thousand years from the time of Abel, about 2,000 years from the time of Abraham, and we'll find Jesus had 11 good disciples. You know, we could go through their lives and we could find a lot of these same truths. And if we wanted to come up a thousand years from the disciples, we could go into the history books and we could find the names of simple believers in Jesus Christ who just were righteous like Abel, who pleased God like Enoch, who were simply obedient. Many of them don't have names. Many of them carried just a simple little translation of the Bible in the old Latin language. They used that Bible through Europe all right up until the modern ages. In fact, Martin Luther, when he translated his Bible into German, had one of those old italic Bibles. It was called a Waldensian Bible. They claim that 
they were started by the works of men who were trained by the Apostle Paul. That they had a Bible in their language. And by the way, the text matches up with this one. Just the language is different. We could come 200 years ago and we could go through the American history books and find men who just simply served God. My question is, can we listen to those voices from the past and lay down some lives that a hundred years from now somebody could say, well, we could go back to New York City in the year 2000 if Jesus doesn't come back and found some people that were righteous like Abel, that pleased God like Enoch, that just simply obeyed like Noah, that trusted God no matter what like Abraham. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that we would be encouraged by the testimony of these men. But Lord, that we would also want what these men had in their lives, in our personal lives. We ask you to do your work. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer... We won't have any music tonight, but just a few moments. If you'd like to come and spend some time at the altar or just pray in your seat, let's prepare our hearts for the prayer time to follow.